Hello, everyone. Welcome to another fantastic edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. I'm your co-host, Dominic Vogel, and joining me as always is Christian Richaw. Christian, how are you doing today? I'm good as always, sir. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. We'll, you sound okay. Yeah, I've been better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really looking forward to today's uh, episode. And we have uh, Jarek Beeson. He is a CISO, Chief Information Security Officer uh, down in the, in the U.S. Um, I, fo- I followed him on LinkedIn for a while. Wealth of knowledge. I think we're going to learn a ton from him today. Mm-hmm. Well, enough of this idle banter. Let's bring Jarek on. Jarek, thank you so much for joining us on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this one, guys. Uh, I know we, we first connected on LinkedIn. Big, big fan of yours. You know, you always uh, post really uh, insightful thoughts on, on on cybersecurity and cyber risk leadership. Um, I thought maybe just to start for our uh, benefit of our viewers and listeners, if you could maybe outline sort of your your career journey or narrative today, and sort of what what's brought you to where you are today. Sure thing. So I'm probably one of the first first generation cybersecurity professionals where my entire career was in cybersecurity. Uh, bachelor's in cyber, master's in cyber, all the different acronyms and uh, certifications that people seem to care about uh, in cyber as well. I started my career kind of unexpectedly. I was just trying to connect to my computer upstairs from downstairs. I did it. A light bulb went off thought about what other computers I could connect to. Long story short, I started doing uh, pen testing before pen testing was a thing. And I ended up working for uh, a couple of three-letter agencies in the government, worked with Lockheed Martin. I went on to work for RSA, uh, running professional services. I spent some time at Deloitte in their cybersecurity practice, worked my way up to one level under partner. Saw the life of a partner, decided that wasn't where I wanted to be, uh, not with three kids at the time. And then I went into industry and I went as a deputy CISO for Fortune 500. And now I'm a CISO at my current company. That's an amazing trajectory. That's uh, I always enjoy hearing from our guests uh, what their career path is. So thank you for sharing that. Jared, just before I get into my actual question here, is something you said about working for the, the big four and almost becoming a partner. When you're coming into deputy CISO and coming into your current role now, um, how would you kind of highlight the differences there. Um, were, were there some limitations of being part of, you know, a, a bigger consultancy that are that you're not bound to now? And are you able to do a, a, a better job in your current context? Yeah, so working for the big four was probably uh, the single most rewarding portion of my career. I think I grew the most working in consulting. Uh, you, the difference in consulting and industry, number one, uh, it's a move up or move out type of environment. So you are constantly competing with all of your peers, but at the same time, these are the top of their class and in, in all their schools and they're competing. Deloitte likes to say that it's harder to get into Deloitte than Harvard, right? So you can imagine the level of talent that, that's around you. Um, and in consulting, you are trying to solve a single problem for a bunch of different companies. And in industry, you're trying to solve a bunch of problems for, for one company. Um, another thing in consulting, a lot of the time you get up to the point of actually executing what that problem solution is going to be, and then you leave it to them and they may sit on a shelf. They may actually execute it. You never know. I wanted to actually be able to see these things to, to completion. And that's one of the things that I like about my current role. 
That's perfect. So we're talking to business leaders here and the, the big question, which is actually the title of our show of cybersecurity matters. Um, why does cybersecurity in your opinion matter and why should it matter to today's small, medium sized organizations? Cybersecurity matters because it is one of the existential threats to an organization. There's strategic, there's operational, there's financial, and now there is there's cyber. And many organizations didn't look at it as such, and many don't exist anymore because of it. Now, fortunately, the larger organizations, they've been able to bounce back because they could throw money at it. But smaller organizations that don't invest early sometimes never get a chance at a, at a redo. No, that's a very good answer. And just as a follow-up question, so let's imagine that you are transplanted into a, a different role immediately, right? You're, you're traveling through time and space and you come into an organization that has very little to no cybersecurity, a very immature program. Uh, how would you approach it? What would be the best way to start addressing that issue and start maybe at least doing the basics? First thing that I'm going to think about is what are the things that matter most to us? So there are some, some basics that every organization should have in place, but beyond those things, I need to protect what matters most. Most companies call it their crown jewels, their critical assets, and so forth. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start there. And that's before I actually apply any controls. This is part of my analysis, we'll call it. Um, but before you, you know, make your official diagnosis, you got to do an assessment. So I would start off with understanding what matters most, understanding if there's any history of cyber issues and so forth. Where are we operating? What regulations do we have to comply with outside of things that we should do? There are things that we need to do. And I want to make sure that I have that good picture. And then from there, I will go to establish a strategy and a roadmap and we'd go from there. Jarek, I'm curious, from, you know, in, in, in your experience as a, as a CISO, um, what are the biggest barriers right now for, for CISOs to be able to have more effective communication with maybe a, a board or, or the executives of an organization? So not to plug my show on SANS, but the reality is, is not many CISOs have a seat at the table, right? So depending on where you go, an organization may have one security person and that person's called the CISO, right? There may be a person that's an IT manager that's over security and they call that person a, a CISO. And for a while now, security people have been seen as a necessary evil, right? Okay, we don't want you, but now we have you. Go and do that security thing so we don't end up in the newspaper, right? And then you don't end up in the newspaper and they wonder, well, why are we paying you so much? And then you do end up in the newspaper and they wonder, why are we paying you so much, right? So we're constantly having to fight just for our own existence. That has changed over time because we're starting to see the true business ramifications of not doing cybersecurity well. But we started off in a hole and now we're pulling our way out of that hole. The next problem we have is cybersecurity people uh, usually get promoted up to CISO through the technical ranks. They didn't go through the ranks like a CFO would where they got exposure to business acumen, where they got exposure to how the financials work, to the customers, to the things that make an organization run. They were ones and zeros inside of the basement, clicking away, having the pizza slid under the door. And now they're being asked to speak to the, to the boardrooms. I heard a phrase of the day, they went from black hat to the boardroom. It's just not, it's not the uh, transition for somebody that's gonna be able to communicate and influence uh, some really top level individuals. Yeah, um, and, and that sort of kicks something off in, in my head too, in terms of how you know, a lot of 
business executives equate cybersecurity with IT, or they see IT and cybersecurity as one. Um, I guess similar question: H- How do we move past that? How do we educate and inform business executives that that cybersecurity and IT are not one and the same? What what what, what would that look like? You know, that's why I like to use the term cybersecurity because it started off with information security, and that was protection of information. Then it was IT security, protection of IT. Cybersecurity, protection of the total enterprise. Um, and if you want to operate in cyberspace, that is a business need. And my job as a cybersecurity leader is to enable you to do that. Anything that you connect with a blue wire or over Wi-Fi or 5G or whatever it is these days, that is a risk because there is somebody that wants access to it. My job is to mitigate that risk. Ah, that's really, really well said. Mm-hmm. And I think another aspect of it when you're talking to business leaders, board directors, is somehow translating the cybersecurity conversation into dollars and cents. Um, do you have an approach for that? There are multiple ways to translate into dollars and cents, but let me maybe use an analogy that I like to use. Um, so I'll use the, the president. If the president says, I want to go here, it could be China, it can be to the worst neighborhood in New York. It's the Secret Service's job to figure out how he can go there and whatever it costs, mitigate those risks. That's how I look at the business. Whatever they want to do, it is my job to figure out at whatever cost it takes for them to go and do it. So that means whatever product you want to put forward, whatever you want to accelerate from a timeline perspective, whatever geo you want to enter into, it is my job to say, okay, here's how we do that. We put in these controls, we align with these regulations, we hire these people, we put in these processes, and it's going to cost you X amount. And if you say, I don't want to pay X amount, sure, then either you don't want to do what you're asking to do, or you want to accept this risk of that thing happening. Imagine the president telling Secret Service, no, I don't want to get there four hours early and go into some dark room so you can make sure that everything is secure. Or no, I don't want to pay for this extra you know, protection, you know, at all the different hotels, make sure there's no snipers. The president would never do that because he values his life. So if the organization values its resources, it'll go along with that. Yeah. And it's interesting. Just one follow-up question I'll back to you, Dom, but um, you know, how do you illustrate the dangers? Because, you know, you're, you're comparing snipers and all this kind of thing. And, you know, I, I think of it like internet, it can be shark infested waters. How do you illustrate that without creating a bunch of fear and trying to be, you know, a sensationalist? Or do you, do you have ways of effectively communicating the actual risk without going too far? We talk about the threat vectors that they're most likely going to resonate with. So there's an application threat vector, there's a network threat vector, there's a user threat vector, right? So we say these are the primary ways and now there's a cloud threat vector, whatever you want to call that. And we talk about the ways that people exploit and get past those vectors. I, I talk about the different protections I have and I talk about the different detection mechanism I have. And I'll say, okay, what you guys want to do is introduce this new threat vector. And we've talked about it in the past. We have EDR, we have WAF, we have this. Well, in this type of environment, we can't necessarily put EDR because it's a SaaS. So instead, we want to do this, which gives us the equivalent protection, right? So I I train and I teach my executives over time. They're not getting all of this thrown at them at once. So we 
we slowly worked up to the point where I can start using these terms. And that just comes with trust and with familiarity. And do you talk about the cyber criminals tactics and the, the criminal networks and, and what the what the threats are? Or you just kind of avoid that and talk about, you know, these are the vulnerabilities and this is the behavior that we need to see. With the CIO, I might talk about TTTs and IOCs, but when I'm talking to the business, I'm equating that to something that relates to them. So I'll use COVID as an example, right? I'll say, hey, if COVID was in the room, would you walk in unprotected? No. Okay. Well, then we don't necessarily want to walk in unprotected, right? Um, so I, I use analogies and then they just get it. They get what I'm trying to say without me having to go into the ones and zeros. That's how you get laughed out the room or how people start to roll their eyes when you start to explain things that just don't matter to them. That's awesome. Well, absolutely. It's just analogies you've shared with us have been incredibly insightful, Jarek. And, um, Something that I'm curious in, in, in your thoughts, um, in terms of what we're seeing in the boardroom and with executives, are you seeing are you seeing maybe an improvement in this understanding that having zero data breaches is a wrong mindset? You know, I know I, I, we've come across many organizations where they equate the success of security as being never having a data breach. Um, is that mindset changing? Are, we, are there still a lot of executives that are stuck in that sort of that wrong mindset? Because I mean, that's saying um, that's setting up a failure there for for security. I'm just curious to your thoughts on that. I can't speak to the boardrooms that I'm that I'm not sitting in, um, but what I can say was in my interview to come to my current company, I told them upfront it is an unachievable metric if you want me to have zero breaches. I'm not the CISO for you if that's what you want. Now, what I can tell you is I'm going to be transparent and upfront. And I'm going to mitigate those breaches and I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that they aren't as damaging to you as possible. But unless you decide to unplug from the Internet completely and make people go into an office and write on pieces of paper, there's going to be a risk. And unless you plan on spending a billion dollars, you're not going to be able to 100 percent mitigate that risk. So that's my job. My job is to find the balance between the two. And I will do that unrelentlessly. Uh, I, I really appreciate that insight. I have one more question before I'll pass it to Christian for for final uh, question. But um, when we're talking about a, I guess, a response, let's say there is a data breach or an organization gets hit by ransomware, um, in your mind, what does a good, not necessarily technical response, but what does a good PR response look like? Like, should that be the CEO, business owner taking that on? I'm curious to, to, your, to your thoughts in terms of what you think a good response looks like from a PR perspective. A great question because the company that I'm at, I found myself in this seat because they had a ransomware attack. So that is that is how I ended up getting recruited. And the the best response is a transparent one that's honest. And usually it's not just a single response. Right. As soon as you know something, you let whomever needs to know what you know. And as you learn more, you continuously share more. It's also important that you are authentic and honest about what happened, right? So a lot of time people like to share what they know, but they try to keep away the kind of ugly dark parts. Uh, that is where people don't believe what you have to say when you have good news later, and they don't necessarily um, want to do business with you in the future. At this point, it's accepted that you're going to have a breach. Like we said, no breaches is, is unaccepted, but what's not acceptable is having a poor response, an unauthentic response, and a, a response that's not completely uh, honest and factual. 
Very, very well said. Jarek, I feel like I'm tapping into your analogy vibe today. And so another one is coming to me here. So if we are in a situation where we're, let's say, a company that's wanting to acquire another company, uh, what are the kind of things that we're looking for from a cybersecurity due diligence perspective? Because, you know, we inherit the data, the value and the security weaknesses of our acquisition targets. In your opinion, when what would constitute legally defensible, uh, reasonable cybersecurity uh, in an acquisition target or in a company? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question. And I don't think there's a singular answer to that. But what I generally say is when we acquire an organization, we need them to have a commensurate level of risk as we do, right? So if I don't have a certain technology in place, don't really mind that they don't have that technology in place, right? But if I have it in place, they either need to put it in place or we need to budget to put it in place when we do. Um, what I always like to talk about from an M&A perspective that's really important is what contracts have they signed and what liabilities have they agreed to from a cybersecurity perspective that I'm going to inherit? Because that's not something I can do anything about, right? So if they agree to no breaches, that's a problem, right? We need to make sure that we know that when we acquire that organization, any breach on our part, though all of our other contracts are okay with it, these seven that they signed, they're now our problem, right? Things like that. Um, I also like to just look at the people and the personnel. Uh, we have a certain culture that we have established. When you try to bring other people in, if that culture doesn't match, that round peg square hole scenario occurs, and we need to invest upfront in making sure that that doesn't result in our downfall uh, as well. And then lastly, you can have the Yahoo Verizon scenario where Yahoo was breached, Verizon went to acquire them, and then you know Verizon ended up having to pay the bill or Marriott Starwood. There's so many more um, that, that you can name. So we also want to make sure that we do our due diligence there as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I imagine this is happening on a small, uh, on a larger scale with smaller scale organizations as well. It's just not, not uh, necessarily as newsworthy. Um, yeah, you know, um, we've been cramming these questions in here and just, I think, squeezing the maximum amount of juice in these, uh, you know, 20 minutes here. So I'm going to, I'm going to finish it off with one more question, which is, are there any questions, um, anything on your mind that you'd like to share with the audience today that we're not asking you? No, that was a that was a pretty uh, well-rounded set of questions. I guess I'll just double tap on some of the legal aspects of things. Um, there is there is a relationship between legal and cyber that's not talked about very much, but nowadays there are regulations. One example: every state, including Puerto Rico, has a data breach notification law. You need to know what yours is in the states that you operate in because you have to make sure that you're responding, you know, within that time frame. That doesn't include all the privacy regulations that are out there and so forth, which most of the time fall on cyber professionals as well. Um, so if an organization is looking to get started or they care about cybersecurity, they need to understand the law, not just NIST, ISO, SOC 2, all those things, what laws apply to you? Because something does. Jarek, this has been in just an incredible conversation. You've, I, I know, um... Yeah, if we could stand right now, we would give yes. you a full round of applause there. Like, that was awesome. That, that was absolutely just full of insight, wisdom, and um, uh, just great analogies that uh, I know will resonate with us and with our viewers and listeners. We're very, very grateful for you carving out the time of your day to join us on, on the podcast. Thank you again very, very much. Thank you. Appreciate your time, guys. Awesome. And Thank you. Krish and I will be right back to wrap up today's episode. That was a jam-packed episode. I cannot get over the uh, sheer number of analogies, 
insight and wisdom that Jarek just laid on us there. Like With that. the occasional joke as With well. The, <laughs> the hair uh, joke. It, it was just it was just so insightful and so interesting the things that he had to say you know and a, lot, a lot of them were things that you know um really resonate with us and hopefully resonate with our viewers and listeners as well um you know i, I in particular i really like what you were saying about mergers and acquisitions where it's it's not necessarily one or one right way but it's about aligning risk right so how you know, one organization brings in an organization that's going to be aligned with their risk profile and be very different from another organization who goes through their own M&A process. So I thought that was really insightful. But I believe uh, the word commensurate, commensurate. is what, that was, what was, that was used. Yeah, yeah. Very well spoken, Jarek. Much more so than me. But uh, what, what were some of your uh, key takeaways? Well, first of all, the critical assets is the starting point for him when it comes to cybersecurity. What is your most valuable, most vulnerable data assets? That's what you want to protect. Also thinking about the idea that anything that is connected to the internet brings risk. And that analogy that I used, one of many, talking about the president and the Secret Service, if the president wants to go somewhere, you know, he needs the Secret Service to ensure that he gets there. In the same way, if a company has an initiative, they need cybersecurity to help them get there in most cases in today's business world. Yeah, no, it, 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 Jarek just laid so much interesting insight and nice wisdom. I think we, was going to have really resonated with with our audience. For sure. And we're very grateful to Jarek for carving time out of his schedule to, to join us. And we certainly hope that our loyal listeners and viewers enjoyed today's episode as well. Uh, and always, we would like to extend that special thank you uh, for you joining us each and every week. Uh, if you want to check out previous episodes, please please check out Cybersecurity Matters podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and or on the Cybersecurity Matters YouTube page. But until next time, be well, be safe, and we'll see you again on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. We'll see you next week.